Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we're talking about Revenge of the Sith, the third and final of our Star Wars prequel podcasts, sponsored by our Patreon patron Eleanor, um, who delightfully paid for these. Um, we will discuss the patron stuff um, more at the end of the episode because we know that people have been like, what bad movies will you do next if you pay us a lot of money? <laughs> um so this movie, um, just to jog your memory, if you've not recently watched Revenge of the Sith, um, this movie sees Palpatine uh, rise to power and he forms the Galactic Empire. He kills the Jedi and sets the scene for the original Star Wars trilogy. And at the same time, Anakin Skywalker begins to have prophetic dreams that his wife Padme will die in childbirth, which leads him to make some, quite frankly, inexplicable and terrible decisions, um, eventually becoming Palpatine's Sith apprentice and betraying the Jedi. And the movie ends with Anakin becoming Darth Vader and Padme dying because there are no obstetricians in Star Wars. Yep, you've summed it up. You've summed up the whole thing. But this movie is a lot easier to summarise than episode two, which we found torturous to watch. It is oh, absolutely. It's like, it has like, it's about 14 hours long and about 77 of those hours are bad action sequences. Whereas this movie <laughs> went completely smoothly. It was a smooth... Um, you know, kind of like a nice mediocre Starbucks coffee just like down the gullet. <laughs> yeah, I would say definitely the ranking in descending order of these three is one, three, two, with two being the bottom. Yeah, because I went into this rewatch thinking I like the first one best, but the third one is like technically the best. And now actually rewatching them, I think the first one's just the best. Like, this one has the more kind of, like, the politics stuff that makes people be like, oh, yeah, this is serious. But first one reels. It's got Liam Neeson in it. Pod racing is actually pretty good. Uh, Liam Neeson is is the deciding factor, Yeah, I think. It's amazing that a film that includes Jar Jar Binks can be considered superior to anything. And yet, uh, that's true. It is the best one, I think. I mean, there's a real lack of cute stuff in this movie. And I think maybe that partly kind of counts in its favour among people who like kind of just want to rank it as like the least stupid of the three because this is like the serious one. But cute stuff isn't bad. It's just that Jar Jar Binks is bad. Ewoks rule. If you want some cute stuff, Ewoks and Porgs are both excellent. And anyone who says differently is just very sad. I agree. I fully agree with that. And... The sort of psychological stuff that happens in the first one, which is very simple because the story is very simple. It's just very long because they have these weird sidetracks to like Mm. the ocean and stuff. Um, It's basically just like Liam Neeson finds this little boy and the little boy has powers and he doesn't want to leave his mom. But there's bad stuff and then Liam Neeson has to fight the bad guy and he dies because that's how hero journeys work right like it's not complicated on an emotional level it's just that there's this sort of extra stuff that's going on it's like whatever and Padme at that point is just like a nice girl yeah she's nice like, and she's oh, also like a really cute cool because, little kid yeah and also it's like but like they have enough peripheral stuff that even though the Trade Federation stuff is no doubt boring and impenetrable to eight-year-olds. The fact that she's a cool princess basically is all you need because you Mm -hmm. know that she's powerful and her outfits are great and she seems like a nice person. 
Um, whereas in this film, we will obviously be discussing the romance at length in this podcast, but this movie literally doesn't like it forgets what Padme's job is. <laughs> so so she's now at the point where she's married to Anakin in secret and it's meant to be this huge grand passion thing, which they're also hiding incredibly badly because they're literally like just making out in public places and she's heavily pregnant. So I'm sure the fanfic for this is just a bunch of people who work at the Senate being like, we all know who the dad is <laughs> and we don't get it. And that must be the internal explanation for why in this movie... Unlike in the others, she doesn't have any friends or, like, secretaries. The only things we see her do are hang out in her chambers and look concerned. And grow pregnant at a very fast rate, which makes it clear that either the people in this franchise have a very fast gestation period, or this movie takes place over the course of, like, about six months. And which makes no which sense. doesn't really make sense, but it's like, it's fine. There is a long and storied history of bizarre pregnancy gestation times in cinema, and we just have to accept that people do not consider this when writing movies. Yes. Um, especially people who cannot get pregnant. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Indeed! Yes. At the same time, like, the whole overarching background stuff is literally about what her job should be (laughs) because it's all about the overtake of the senate and they have that really great scene where um when palpatine finally takes over and like padme says something like oh this is how democracy dies and it's all terribly like heavy-handed but effective you know and that's like the only point when she's doing her job and i found out um after watching this movie that they actually deleted a bunch of scenes that were about her and senator organa um leia's adoptive father setting up the rebel alliance so, like, they, they deleted the part that, like, leads into the... And, of course, you get that in the Clone Wars series, but, like, that's going to be watched by, like, a tiny fraction of the movies. And then Jimmy Smith shows up as General Organa in Rogue One. But it would be so much better if you could see the tying line between those instead of having more scenes where, you know, Padme sits in her chambers and looks at the sunset and unconvincingly is like, Oh, Anakin, <laughs> I can't wait to help you with your problem. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is her only role. And it's so dumb because as we talked about on, I think, the episode for that first movie and the commentary track also, the big sort of iconographic thing that came out of that movie was so absolutely all of Padme's outfits, mm. right? Like that uh, red dress and the big hair do that she has are the thing I think of visually. For sure. And Darth Maul, obviously, who has like five minutes of screen time. But little kids were really into her. She was cool. All the stuff with the switching back and forth was really interesting. And like, I didn't care about this movie, but I thought she was cool. But those little kids were largely girls. And so they don't matter. Whatever. And so they just did away with all of that. And instead she just like wanders around alone in her chambers being like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> what the fuck? It's just, oh my God, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. But also just none of the emotional content makes any sense except for Obi-Wan, who doesn't have a particularly complicated arc, but, like, he makes sense as a person on a basic fundamental level. Meanwhile, Anakin is just, like, murdering children all of a sudden for no real reason. 
in a way that just does not scan at all. And I, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The fact that he turns to the dark side halfway through the story is really surprising in terms of like structure. Yeah. Because obviously he only turns into Darth Vader at the end. But the whole, like the pacing of his arc is so weird. Because in in the last movie, like we, we in the last podcast, we kind of talked about how that relationship, obviously the romance is just like heinously bad and doesn't make any sense. Um, but Anakin's own arc does kind of make sense. Like up until the point where he literally switches over and becomes a Sith, you're like, okay, he's isolated. He's been forced to like join this monk-like sect that simultaneously think he's the Messiah and also are not treating him well and have isolated him from his mother. And he's not being allowed to have normal human emotions, which is bad enough for most people, but especially bad when you're like really traumatized and you haven't been through the childhood training and what have you. And also at the same time, he's like very clearly not very smart and he's being manipulated by Palpatine for his entire adolescence. Um, And then once you get to this point, like the deciding factor is meant to be the fact that he's like, oh my God, my wife is going to die in childbirth. And the only solution I have to this is to like get more power because Palpatine's told me that he can stop that happening because he can cancel death. So like, then he just goes off the deep end and is like, oh, well, I'm now evil. So I'm just going to kill like dozens of children in cold blood. But there's like the, the the tipping over point is like not there. And it's like, that is definitely a story that can be told if you have him as this charismatic cult leader and you have like a sophisticated illustration of how you can make a person do terrible things, even though they don't necessarily want to before. This movie was not on that level. No. <laughs> this this <laughs> movie is not the master. Like I was like, we were saying in the yeah. commentary track we recorded for this, I was just like, Palpatine is Mr. Bean. And also the reason why all of his manipulations are so wildly obvious with Anakin is because Anakin cannot pick up on a clue. Because clearly Palpatine's really subtle in terms of his overarching plan because no one has discovered him yet, despite his like giant army of secret clones or whatever but with Anakin he's just got to be like wouldn't it be amazing if you could just like kill people and not get into trouble (laughs) (laughs) yeah that does sound really great Hmm. Hmm. well right like so it's like the motivation of like making someone do bad things to keep someone they care about from getting hurt is very boring particularly if the sort of acting presence is a man and the passive presence is like a pregnant wife, right? But again, you can make that work on a fundamental psychological level in terms of like just baseline coherence. Like, okay, people can be manipulated into doing stuff to protect people they love, fine. But basically Palpatine is just like, I'm a Sith. We, I, you can, you can cure death, and then Anakin does like tell the Jedi about it, and then they say, you know, stay here, we're gonna go deal with this, and then he just turns around and goes and murders all the kids, and I was like, you have, this is the most pathetic, like, you did not put up a fight at all, like, there's not even a scene where he's like tortured about, you know, what am I gonna do, like, what, it's just no, he just folds instantaneously it's so boring it's just dramatically completely inert because there's no sense of you know i don't want to do this but i feel like i have to he just goes in and 
does it. And then the rest of the movie, it's impossible to feel any sympathy for this person. Not that he was particularly compelling in the first place, but now he's really not because he just murdered a bunch of small children without any compunction. So it's like, yeah, you can go fuck yourself, actually. Like, goodbye. Um, And, yeah, it just feels like the people making it, you know, beating George Lucas, obviously, just have no sense of dramatic structure whatsoever which is i mean we've seen from all three of these films that's the case but this is the one where it's the most obviously like the second one is the most incoherent broadly speaking but this is the one that's the most kind of weird in terms of just like what are you doing it's just it's so odd i mean it just Uh, seems like it needs like such a heavy script edit because yeah when you hear the backstory behind how he wrote the prequels it kind of makes sense if you're a writer because essentially what he did is he wrote the general arc of the entire franchise decades ago and then revisited it like 25 late 25 30 years later when he was making the prequels and it is like when you've written the outline of a story and then you go back to it like several years later and you're like oh I can't remember what the fuck I was thinking and if you try to write it it's not going to work and with him, it's like he actually, you know, like I have consistently been saying and Morgan has been like, yeah, writing at me for the entire trilogy of these podcasts. I do think that there are good ideas in here. There are interesting political themes that are perhaps not very explicitly articulated in the text. Um, and, it, you know, the epic Skywalker saga is really cool and emotionally compelling in your brain. But on screen, it doesn't work because the minutiae is just absolute trash. Um, so if he'd had a script editor... And also just generally an editor who came in and like switched stuff up and told him how to do more convincing dialogue, like literally had someone come and rewrite his dialogue, then it would be so much better. And like the difference is that, you know, in the original trilogy, you just had like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher being like, we're going to do different dialogue. And in these movies, like Hayden Christensen was not in a position to be like, I mean, he's not a writer, but also he wasn't like, he was just like a teenage boy. And this was George Lucas, a completely different dynamic. Yeah. Um, and when we were watching this, I was actually like, I wonder if Ewan McGregor got his own little script person on set for this, which is not uncommon in Hollywood because some of his lines were great. And obviously he is the absolute MVP of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it's so not even a competition that it's just embarrassing. And as we've said, obviously, like Natalie Portman is a tremendous actor whose work I love, but she just has nothing to do, right? Like, she just has to stand there. And then Hayden Christensen just is completely out of his depth, hadn't done really anything, and then is given just garbage to work with, so what are you going to do? Whereas Ewan McGregor is a great actor, and then clearly was like, I have to do something about this. But also, like, really enjoying it, like, famously loves the Oh, yeah. And he has the fun role because Padme and Anakin are having to act out this tremendously, intensely emotional story that doesn't make any sense from a characterization perspective. So, like, Natalie Portman, she like, there's just no way for her to tie that shit together. Like, the pregnancy doesn't make sense. The relationship doesn't make sense. Her job doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's all just pure... Like, the worst <laughs> scene in the entire trilogy, in my opinion, is the scene where she is, like, standing on the balcony in this movie... And she's brushing her hair and she has like this mane of glossy ringlets and she's brushing them with a flat brush. But Natalie Portman is having to angle herself away from the camera because as anyone with curly hair knows, you can't do that. Like you literally, that's not how it works. Like your hair just becomes a cloud. So she's just had to be like, well, I guess I'll just do this. And mime (laughs) brushing my hair romantically on 
on the balcony as women famously do. Um. <laughs> What's so stupid is that she has straight hair for most of these films. So if they really wanted her to fucking brush her hair, they could have done it. It's just, but yeah. But no. It's all... Men are dumb. It's all... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Obi-Wan, he is just, he's just consistently very entertaining in this. And also it's just, it was very fun to just interpret him as just a really bad Jedi master in this. Um, not as a Jedi, but as a, as a teacher, because clearly he has absolutely failed Anakin and kind of the thread of the films is meant to be that he is, you know, he's emotionally kind of stunted because he left his uh jedi master a bit early he wasn't prepared to be anakin's master and he doesn't have the kind of paternal instincts that um qui-gon jinn had so it's already too difficult for him and he doesn't know that anakin's being manipulated and anakin resents him constantly because he represents this sort of like power over him and all this stuff like that's the text of it um but the funnier way to interpret it is just this just fucking like shitty like dumbass like dad who doesn't understand his sulky rebellious teenage son and like he's not going to be a jedi master and there's this scene where he's like anakin you're so wise you're just you make great decisions and it's like none of this is true he's just giving him this compliment is to try and like confidence boost anakin meanwhile anakin is like literally in the middle of having a tantrum because palpatine has like manipulated the jedi council into allowing anakin to be on the council, even though he's like a fucking like 14-year-old like Malcolm in the Middle extra. And it's like, why can't I get an official seat on the council? Why am I just here in unofficial capacity? It's like they don't respect me at all. And it's like, yeah, they don't respect you. Like for all of the reasons that are like all to do with your whole <laughs> self. Because you are a child. You are a whiny, obnoxious child. Yeah. I think he is he is probably the stupidest character oh, in the yeah. franchise, because I think, like, because, like, Luke is obviously, he's meant to be this really naive character at first, and so are, like, a lot of the other younger characters, because it's one of the consistent themes is sort of youthfulness and kind of, you know, finding out about the world and making mistakes and what have you. But Anakin doesn't ever learn. And also it's, like, he just doesn't process information because he's just so incredibly, like, angry and emotional all the time. I mean, every scene he has with Padme... He's just having a temper tantrum. It's so excruciating to watch. Like, her entire role is just to be like, of course everything's fine. You're overreacting. Calm down. It's like, oh my god, what kind of marriage is this? Please stop. Like, yeah. there are There are, like, several scenes in this and in the second film that are very reminiscent of the room the only <laughs> film in the world um, because of the way that like the gender dynamics are so kind of they're they're bad in a very easy to understand way but they're also so bad and weirdly performed that it's like alien <laughs> performances it's like oh am i watching like a klingon opera right now because like he'll be having this hysterical temper tantrum and his wife you know by this point like a 28 year old senator of an entire planet it's like oh sweetie they'll understand and it's like <laughs> no what are you talking about who is this like random college freshman you let into your room like what is happening here <laughs> well also all the stuff which i think you said in the commentary track where he's like, I'm having these prophetic dreams. And she's like, it's fine. Don't worry about that. Come back to bed. And it's like, well, maybe someone should be concerned about this because like, yeah, it's like, you're literally a wizard. You, you have classes in prophetic dreams at the school you go to. <laughs> go ask one of your teachers like, Hey, I've been having these weird dreams, Yoda, where, 
my wife dies, but like no spoilers. I mean, he does do that, but it's all just really poorly handled. But I know it's meant to be the point, but it's like, there's a lot of plot holes. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh. And also, he's he's unattractive. Not physically, obviously. He's a good-looking guy, but um, it's just really interesting to watch this now we know Kylo Ren, because obviously, you know, at the time, there wasn't really that sort of, like, dark, seductive figure in this franchise. There was Darth Vader who's cool, but Darth Vader isn't sexy. <laughs> no! You know, unless you're a yeah. cyborg fucker. No shame. But, like, with, with Kylo Ren, like, obviously there's, you know, there's loads of kind of, like, moral discourse about it, but, like, he is an emotionally compelling character. Like, he's well-drawn and, like, the performance is great and I can totally see why people are into him. And also, like, even you don't even have to have that well-written character for people to be into, like, a mysterious, dark figure who's played by a vaguely attractive white guy because that's how we've all been, like, programmed by pop culture. And it's like, that's fine. We've all been there. I completely understand it. And with Anakin, they have somehow managed to get a guy who not only is an attractive, shirtless man in his 20s, a seductive love interest, has a cool robot arm, has a laser sword, he's rebelling against authority, he's got an intense relationship with Ewan McGregor, and he's like a vacuum that sucks the sexuality out of the room. He is so unappealing, there is no appeal whatsoever. And it's like, how have they managed this? He has every single factor, and yet it's like, oh no, sorry, I'd rather just like leave now. Like, well, you're totally right. Like, there is nothing that people love more than a sad, dark prince, right? Like, it's just... Yeah. I love it the is sad the dark trope prince. that just the id just kicks into gear and we all line up and it's fine. The amount of like low-key Marvel fan art I reblogged on Tumblr in 2012 yep. is just unbelievable. <laughs> just just folders right. of it. And the Kylo Ren comparison is so interesting. And like obviously it's the same franchise, like they're drawing on the same stuff, but mm. he is explicitly textually written as a child. Right? Like, he has very similar traits in that he is completely out of control of himself. He wants to be in control of other people and, like, specifically women or a woman. Um, yeah. And also, like, not just a child, but, like, explicitly yeah. a man-child. Because Anakin is meant to be young and, like, Kylo Ren is right. meant to be 30. <laughs> and obviously people have written at length about how this is politically relevant in our times, blah, 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 blah. But... All of this is there, and he's also meant to be physically compelling, right? And that's what's yeah. interesting about that character, is that he's all of these things at once, and a bad guy. And then you have Anakin, who theoretically encompasses many of these qualities. And yet, as you say, it's just, like, nothing. There's just nothing there and part of that of course is performance like adam driver can have sexual charisma with like a brick like he just every performance i've seen him in like he he can just do it with anybody and hayden christensen does not appear to have that same talent which even if you are physically attractive I mean, like, at this point in his career, what hayden christensen should be doing is starring as like the jock yes. in a teen movie Whereas Adam Driver is like, oh, I'm like a highly polished performer with great physicality and a lot of literary right. background who also has l actual military training in real life. So there's like several levels in which he is kind of exhibiting. Yes, his I'm not trying to like <laughs> rag on Hayden Christensen, who seems like a perfectly like fine guy who got stuck doing this shit, right? Like yeah. it's not his fault at all. But 
on some base level, he like doesn't have the same charisma, of right? Of course. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. Exactly what I was saying. But also the way, so like part of it is him, but also much of it is the movie, which just doesn't understand this trope at all, or like what might make a person like this, even with all of these character defects, appealing anyway. Right? Like, I just saw My Fair Lady um, on Broadway, which features a very different type of, like, appalling male character, which is, like, a domineering, definitely not, you know, child man. Although, like, kind of a man-child, actually. But, like, the Henry Higgins character in that show, slash play, is completely heinous to the woman. And, like, you don't want, or I didn't want, anyway, them to end up together, and they don't in this production. But he's still so compelling and charismatic, partially because of performance, but largely because of the way it's written, that you get the appeal of him and you like watching him. And the people making the show clearly grasp that as they have throughout the many years that it's been in existence. And that's this sort of like weird thing in in society that we have where like women like men who are bad, right? Like that's just a factual thing that exists And a lot of smart media can play with that in an interesting way. And this movie, like, George Lucas clearly does not have this. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it at all. But it's also like, it's like women, but also just to clarify that, it's not like, oh yeah, like girls always go for the bad boys. It's like women like Oh yeah, this is what I mean. Like there is something sort of in the back of your head because we have watched all of this media forever, right? Where the Sad Dark Prince thing or various other tropes, like there is something... I mean, fucking Hannibal. Like, obviously, I'm, like, ride or die for Hannibal. Like, my my two favorite TV shows are just about, like, just really destructive, attractive, charismatic men killing yeah, people. Like- <laughs> it's like that and Black Sails. And it's like, they're very good. But it's like, in this, there's not been any attention paid to the idea of how other people respond to Anakin. Like, either the audience or padme as like a person who's meant to be attracted to him it's just like all internal and it's like oh he's like got all this angst and even that isn't compelling because you know of all the reasons we've already just discussed and instead of going into any of that like not that i think personally killing all the kids is just dumb as a story move because obviously like darth vader is incredibly evil right like it's not like you're supposed to get to the end of this movie and be like, actually, Anakin's kind of okay. Like, he's supposed to do bad stuff. That's fine. But go going to that extreme a place, I think is just... I think it's just a bad story decision. I don't think it makes sense in the sense that it's the worst thing that a person can do, right? So it, it's just too yeah. extreme to the point where... And it's also, it comes really early right, in the film. And- like, at that point, because, like, the whole point is, like, it seems like it should be that he does turn to the dark side at that point and betrays the Jedi, but he's not doing it in, like, a face-to-face situation, which is, like, how that sort of thing would work. Because you're like, oh, I do agree to turn evil for this reason, but, like, you're not going, like, full tilt. And then the point where he actually does tip over is should be... I mean, it is, but it should be more explicitly the final scene where he has that duel with Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan abandons him. And that's the point where he's like, oh, I am actually here, like, ride or die yes, for the Emperor. That would make so much more sense. And because he just, like, slaughters all these small children, that you can't have any compassion for him anymore. But it's also so much that 
I wasn't watching it feeling like immensely distressed, right? It's just ridiculous. It's just such a preposterous. Yeah, it's a very thing. silly like because like, the the scene where they kill all the Jedi, like the montage of Order sixty six, I think is good. Like it's actually pretty effective. But the actual scene where he's killing the kids is just like it's silly because you've got some like child actors and obviously they're like a bit stilted because they're seven right. years old or whatever, and then. It's just all very intensely over-dramatized because he's this, like, hot topic Molgoth. <laughs> so it's just, uh, yeah. But obviously, like, people have spent the past, like, 15 years then retrieving Anakin's story through various supplementary materials and fanfics because it's like, we do want it to work because <laughs> Darth Vader is so well, cool. Well, the thing is, like, I haven't <laughs> watched those original films in so many years. But my vague memory of them it's just like it's just so not the same person in any way right no well he's not he's not intensely i mean obviously by that point he's like 40 and he's been through a lot of stuff but it's very hard to engage with that arc yeah. and see like how he becomes that character because you can see how he turns evil and then there's just this gap and it's like he becomes this really kind of controlled sophisticated person who, you know, you see him flying into rages, but, like, he's really smart. And he's also funny. Like, Darth Vader yes. is witty. And they have, like, there's that amazing point in, in Rogue One where he has that line where he's like, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, which is, like, one of my favourite lines in Star Wars. It's just, like, a fucking, like, it's a pun. And also he's choking someone at the same time. And it's like, <laughs> oh, Darth, I love you. <laughs> it's like he literally becomes a smarter and better person after joining the dark side, which is not how it's meant to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sort of not the idea. And there's just not really any way to reason your way into that. Though many people have tried, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. And I think that obviously is the fundamental failure of these films, apart from the fact that they just aren't good right? Is if the whole point is that you're supposed to follow this guy to the point where he becomes this character that is one of the most iconic characters in the history of cinema that everybody knows. And it's completely impossible to sync those two people up together. It's like, well, I think your project didn't quite get where you were hoping it would. Because this, no. <laughs> well, it's like the, the final scenes of this movie are him. Quite frankly, it's like brutal because the rest of the film is like a solid PG. And then he has his limbs hacked off and he's set on fire. And it's like, I was just like, whoa, this is really like, this is shocking material. But it's like, do so you have this tragic ending where it's like a montage of him being like properly toasted on a barbecue and then his wife dying in childbirth in like a, another completely very very George Lucas-ish depiction of childbirth where she's like very mildly sweaty and like crying beautifully and then like dying and being like I miss you know my husband has good in him really and then like naming two like newborn children and then dying and then the droid who as a very fine touch the birth droid has like robot boobs because it's a girl Obviously. droid of course and it's like and the robot droid's like well yeah here you go we don't have any gynecologists here and that's why you're gonna die of like a broken heart or whatever but like that is like this incredibly tragic ending and it's meant to be this epic like end to a huge story and the main stuff that survives from this movie are like memes of <laughs> Hugh McGregor dropping his cloak and smirking <laughs> oh my god it's true 
It's like every, like so much snappy dialogue. He's so bitchy in this movie. It seems like he should be just saying like bitch after every line because it's just like a little insults and he's like smirking at people and like having all these dumb lightsaber battles. Oh my God, we forgot to mention the main villain oh, of this movie. I'm, I'm ashamed of us because wow. Yeah, I forgot. And also I literally forgot him until I was writing the planning document for this movie. And then literally with the planning document open in front of me, I still forgot the existence <laughs> of General Grievous, the most pointless <laughs> character. <laughs> Why is he there? To sell toys. To sell toys. That's the answer. Yeah. Because... But he's so poorly designed. It's so inferior. Because also, like, overall, um, one of, like, our main complaints about the second film is that visually it's just atrocious. Like, the first film has, like, you know, obviously the CGI is a bit dated, but they also have that good mix of sort of, um, like, practical stuff. And then the second one is the point where Lucasfilm really went up to the hilt in terms of CGI. And it's not good. It's much worse than other kind of big budget movies of that period for some inexplicable reason like distractingly it just doesn't it doesn't look real and it's also like the design is not great and in this film they did dial it back and the cgi is improved and so on but general grievous is a real flaw because they've got this guy who's just like he's just like a crap villain who is a robot well he's a cyborg i guess because i guess his brain is in there but like mostly you see his heart but his heart is like mostly exposed in his rib cage which is like an open like body with a bunch of limbs and he has a hacking cough and it's like so he's like a coughing droid who's chronically ill and wears a cape that is clearly going to get tangled in all of his joints so there's about 11 different elements here where you're like i can't focus on this shit character because he's so distractingly poorly designed you know what he reminds me of is a doctor who villain from like the russell t davies era of like yeah a yeah. corny one who's only yeah. meant to be there for one episode and you're like this is fine because it's doctor who and it's meant to be corny whereas here it's like you're meant to have killed dozens of jedi i guess like right sure. like the the heart <laughs> is conveniently located in a place where you know the doctor or the companion can just or like a third character who's there for the one episode can conveniently <laughs> just like punch it or you know whatever and then it's all done oh my god yep. you're so and right instead it's <laughs> In one of the most expensive movies of all time at that point. Okay. Sure. That's fine. I just, how did these things happen? I don't understand. It's just like there's no Kathleen Kennedy to show up and just fire people <laughs> from being incompetent. Because George Lucas was in charge of everything, unfortunately. He's given us so much. And some of the things that were so much were not so much. <laughs> that is a very eloquent way of summing up this whole exercise in uh, revisiting our childhoods. So much that is not so much, I think, really says it all. Oh my god. He just wanted to tell a powerful allegorical story about the Vietnam War. (laughs) And he did not do that. Amazingly, this film had political backlash. Like, at the time, people were like, you shouldn't be so critical of the of the Bush administration. I do not And he was that. like, well, I am critical of the Bush administration. But at the same time, beloved though I am of the political themes in these movies, that is not something that's really going to be like winning over the hearts and minds of kids. Especially seeing as like people, if you have like a really solid political view, you will just skew whatever pop culture you enjoy right to your thing. Because there, like, there was always that like group of people who are like, oh yeah, the empire was right. 
you know people who are like yeah we do wish that the trains would run on time because we've got like great leader to be in charge um which is kind of like it's like they have this like slightly ironic situation with the emperor because like the the movies make it really clear that obviously like the empire is morally bad and also it's not particularly efficient because the stormtroopers are famously shit and like the infrastructure is a nightmare and what have you and like it's a dystopia but palpatine himself is fantastic he's really really good at what he does and in this movie you know he's managed to manipulate an entire like galaxy-wide political structure to the point of collapse and then created an empire without anyone noticing that he was actually evil. And at the same time, his hobby is just like abusing Anakin, <laughs> um, which actually we should talk about. I forgot about that, but we were kind of talking about this during the commentary. Yes. And there's like some like interesting stuff that like I do not remember picking up on when I watched it before. But like, um, it's just really interesting to see like the movies do actually illustrate how incredibly like smart and efficient Palpatine is. And there really aren't any other leaders in the franchise who come close to him. So you can see how he managed to take over. Because part of like the themes of the new trilogy is that the First Order just isn't as good as the Empire. Because they've taken the infrastructure that already existed. And they don't have a leader that can take Palpatine's place. Um, because Snoke is just like, you know, he's like a cardboard cutout who's like taking over Palpatine's place. And he is a Force user. But he's not got the same power and he's not able to hold to keep control and like kylo ren obviously isn't in the same position as vader because he doesn't have like the same level of kind of ability to take charge of like the death star equivalents or whatever he's not actually in charge and there has to be like far more middlemen and they're all feuding much more than you see in the old empire structure so it's like palpatine's great at his job and evil um and I think like Leia would have been the equivalent if she'd survived into episode uh, nine because she like is already fantastic all the kind of like nation building stuff but like she'd only just started doing the force things um but yeah about Anakin and Palpatine it's weird it's some weird stuff it was it's pretty creepy actually yeah yeah like the grooming stuff um I definitely didn't pick up on when I rewatched this a few years ago and we were watching this it was like they've definitely gone for the kind of like widely analyzed and criticized sort of um, creepy subtextually older gay man trope, right? Because like he's like he's Ian McDermott is definitely playing this in the vein of when you're watching like a '90s BBC politics sitcom and there's like a sleazy Tory MP who's always sort of like hitting on the younger civil servants. Like that is the vibe that he has, and like it is obviously meant to be this whole thing where it's like oh he's like being literally being seduced to the dark side. But Palpatine is real creepy in this. He's creepy as hell. I wonder to what extent that was a like a direction versus an acting choice. Because again, it you know it it's there, but it's not like the movie doesn't actually do anything with it. No, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those things that kind of comes from like the overall tropes that are like around yeah because like obviously he's meant to be creepy and the fact that like that type of villain there is like this kind of long history of homophobic subtext yeah in certain types of villains especially in children's movies like you know uh, we'll find a link an article to link in the show notes but like there's loads of villains in kind of disney cartoons where it's like the whole point is that they're quite like camp and like sexually threatening and, and like kind of ambiguous 
but this kind of falls into that same category and I think maybe it kind of went under the radar in terms of usual pop culture recognition because like he's not an attractive figure because if you see like Hades in the Hercules movie the point is that he's fun and loads of people like you grow up and you're like oh I'm like 25 and I'm a queer person and I actually realize why I love Hades in the Hercules movie <laughs> um, and with this it's like no one's gonna have that with Palpatine because he's like fucking evil Mr. Bean like creepo guy with wrinkly skin and he's just like yelling and like doing laser stuff with his fingers like he's weird but um, I think it definitely has that vibe and it is one of those things that can just bleed through from the overall like cultural osmosis yeah I agree but it was very odd because I have not seen this since I was 13 and needless to say, yeah. uh, did not recall this because I was presumably not aware of this at the time. But I was sort of like, oh, this is odd. But he, like again, even that. I mean, he literally is grooming a teenager for 10 yes. years. And like, that is, as you say, like a very fraught trope. But even that would have been something. It would have been something happening that could potentially have been interesting even in a problematic way, but no, this movie's not going to go there. It's just going to be another thing that's there for like two scenes that you can be like, that's odd. And then it continues on. Just a lot of that, a lot happening to no coherent end. Oh, yeah. At least we got the memes. There are like three memes that came out of this movie that still get passed around all the time. All of you and yeah. McGregor, because he's great. Yeah. Yeah. God bless. Tremendous performance. <laughs> Tremendous And great hair. Oh, yeah. the hair is so good. Big step up. The hair, the hair improvements between this film and the last film. Like, as we said in the last podcast, the worst, one of the worst things about film number two is the fact that Ewan McGregor has like a fake beard and a wig for like half of it, but not like a distinct half. Just sometimes mid-scene, they'll be like, oh, here's a reshoot and he's wearing like the world's fakest beard and it's agonizing. <laughs> Whereas in this one, he looks so cute. He's got really nice hair. They've styled him so that he does actually look like he is kind of an Alec Guinness. He's got the Alec Guinness voice, which is like a voice that you don't really hear in contemporary cinema because it's like an old English voice. It's great. Um, and he's, you know, it's like nice sandy highlights. Very beautiful look. Um, and obviously he loves to have his giant stupid capes and like drop them dramatically like seven different times in the movie. And Anakin's haircut's better too because his haircut sucked in the last movie and now it looks better. So well done in the hair people. Someone had a word. Yeah, in conclusion, the the note we should go out on for all these podcasts is Lucasfilm, just, just give you and McGregor a movie. He's the only white man who should get a movie at this point. Just do it. Give us all what we want, especially you and McGregor, who desperately, desperately wants this. It would make everyone happy. Thank you. It's my pitch. It's my pitch to you. It would be good. Because this should have been a movie about him and Padme making out. That's my opinion. Would have been preferable, a more enjoyable viewing experience. But no. What can you do? This has been quite a journey that we've been on for all three of these movies. What a time. Yeah, been. Morgan, as someone who, you are the one who was like, I will only watch these movies if someone on Patreon pays a hundred dollars. How do you feel about having rewatched the entire Star Wars prequel trilogy as an adult? Um, I think that that was the correct price to put on watching <laughs> I mean, it was a, this was a fun experience. They are deeply awful. They're just terrible movies. They're so bad. I don't understand how this happened. I do. It's that uh, George Lucas is powerful and then said, 
it's going to happen. It really makes you, me, appreciate the newer ones, even though I still have the same problems with The Last Jedi, which I think is a flawed film. But like, wow, it's a film. It's a, it's a, it's a movie. <laughs> These are not movies. These are things that were released in movie theaters, and there is an important difference between those two things. So, oh man, yeah. Thank God Natalie Portman just got out and managed to have a career. That's all I she can say. Good. Yeah, because she's so great. I like her so much. And um, it would have been very easy for her to succumb to the Hayden Christensen situation, which is that he doesn't really act. I mean, I hope he's fine and happy doing whatever it is he's I mean, he's, he's been working consistently in, like, dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas... But, like, Natalie Portman already by that point was an established child yes. actor who'd yeah. done sort of... She'd done Leon. ...adult stuff. The professional. Um, yeah, um, so... But, man. Whew. So, our next boondoggle. Yes, people have been messaging us saying, once you're done with the Star Wars prequel trilogy, are you going to put another $100 reward up on Patreon as like the top thing? Basically, like if you're not kind of knowledgeable of our Patreon, like the usual stuff is like most people just like give us like a dollar and then you have an access to a bunch of kind of blog posts and, you know, exclusive mini podcasts and stuff. But you can pay $50 and you get to tell us to watch any film or TV show or the $100 tier, which we didn't think anyone would ever pay for. You can force us to watch something that we would never under any circumstances <laughs> consider watching. And I think what we agreed on as the replacement for the Star Wars prequel trilogy is Twilight. Which I've never seen. So, I've never seen it either. Yeah. I've never seen it and I've never read it. Although uh-uh. obviously we were both in high school when the books came out. So I was kind of very culturally aware of them. And obviously I've heard loads of, you know, the jokes and the criticisms and stuff. I, at one time, um, was a Twilight expert without no, having ever read or watched Twilight. Yeah, I know a lot yeah. of info about Twilight. It was inescapable if you were our exact age and sort of cultural cohort, etc. Um, there were I knew so many people who were obsessed with them, and I was absolutely just the most unbearable unbearable stop about it. I was like, these are so sexist and horrible. Um, Yeah, I was a fun teenager. Uh, And I never saw this film because I thought it looked horrible. But I'm quite intrigued. So the two things that intrigue me are the first one is meant to be the best. Yes. Of the heinously terrible series. Yes. Um, And obviously the actors turned out really great. Well, this is... Because they were also, like, the the press tour was fun. Like, when these movies were being promoted, obviously, it was always very entertaining um, to see what's-his-name promoting these. Oh, Yeah, he just didn't give a shit. Robert Pattinson did not give a shit. But now Kristen Stewart is our gay hero. She makes so many good indie movies. Well, both of them have turned into... Both of them do. Yeah. like, heroes of, like, seriously indie cinema. Miserable misanthropes who, while filming their movie together, would just go home and watch, like, fucking indie dramas. Mm-hmm. So... And my understanding is that they are both um, very bad in this film. And they're both excellent actors now. I watched Briar Pattinson in a movie this year called Damsel, which was fine. I didn't think it was amazing, but he was incredible in it, and it had a perfect American accent. 
And it was completely different from the perfect American accent he did in a different movie last year. I was like, who are you? What has happened? This is crazy. Yeah, he did. He did there was that really that low budget crime movie he did. Good time, um, which I cannot yeah, remember. Which is meant to be really enough. good. One of my favorite movies of last um, year. Yeah, I mean the, the thing people say about the Twilight Saga is that Kristen Stewart like really fucking pulled it out because like her entire job is to just sort of gaze into the middle distance and look pained. <laughs> and there was a lot of kind of jokes about like, oh, all she does is like gaze into the middle distance and look pained, and it's like that job's hard. Yeah, because she's just being told to do that for four movies. Oh, God. <laughs> so but we will see if if anyone if anyone feels the need for us to watch that you can go on patreon you can Um, bribe us we'll find out if anyone is interested it's available to you um and next week we have a very cool episode um, which i'm really looking forward to which is our night watch by terry pratchett book club episode um if you've not been kind of following along on social media i've been tweeting about it a bit night watch by terry pratchett highly recommended we've already posted some blogs on patreon and I'm really excited to talk about it because, like, this is my favorite Terry Pratchett book, and I've read the entire Discworld franchise, and it's uh, Morgan's first foray into the Discworld. So we're going to have some stuff to chat about. And although we have been posting uh, updates as we read, I found this a very, very quick read. So I think if you are just listening yeah, to this it's, now, it's, it's yeah, can... it's kind of something you can definitely read in like a couple of days. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so that will be next week. Uh, thank you so much once again to Eleanor for funding this crazy ride. I've loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and I have also enjoyed myself. Um, this was great. Uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us on patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Otherwise, you can find us on our website, overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at OverinvestedPod, or on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast. Thanks. Bye. Bye.